some of the best parts of investing that I find the most exciting outside of making money, because obviously that's why everyone invests because they want to return on their investment. But a great part of investing is building out a thesis, putting in the work and building out your process and seeing if your process is correct. Welcome to the Startup Garden Podcast with your host, Matteo Tedeschi. In this show, we talk with entrepreneurs and business leaders to uncover what it takes to make it in this fast-paced and ever-changing world. So get ready, sit tight, and let's dive in. Today's a special episode. We got everything from Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, investing, and more. We have our guest, Austin Walker. I'm excited to introduce you all. So Austin, would you mind giving us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got into finance and investing? I started out kind of early in finance, I guess. Um, actually, I guess it wasn't too early. It was actually more so towards, you know, getting to my early years into college. Uh, I was lucky enough to work for an organization that um, set us all up with like 401k accounts and everything like that. So they kind of uh, broke down to us, you know, the importance of starting earlier than later. And so I think I was, you know, early 20s of maybe 20, 2021, uh, where I saw the importance of compounding interest, which is a huge thing, I think, when you're first starting out into investing. And they showed us the difference, like, hey, if you start out when you're 20 or 21 years old versus if you're 30, you know, the delta or the difference in terms of the amount of money you make at retirement is, you know, it's, it's, it's like almost millions of dollars in difference. And so I'm like, okay, that's super, that's super cool and super interesting. And then once I kind of had that kind of set up and then also kind of side note, like little, a personal finance, like one-on-one type thing that everyone always says, make sure you have, you know, anywhere from three to six months, like money saved on the side. Uh, again, lucky enough, I, I, had, I was always working even before college. So I kind of had all those things kind of pre-set up before I even got started into investing. Um, but again, I, I really thought it was important to be financially literate when it came to finance, whether I came across a business person or just in general, I was interested in the stock market or economics. Um, but I, I didn't really know anything about it because my background is more in kinesiology when, in terms of undergrad. So I wasn't getting this education in school or anything like that. So I really had to take it upon myself uh, to learn about this stuff. And even my family, I don't come from a finance family at all. No, I'm, like, I'm the finance guy in my family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I basically, I was funny enough, I was listening to a podcast. I think it was the Investors Podcast, and I think it was Preston, Preston Pish, uh, one of the, the hosts on it. He was saying that, yeah, I, I turned my, you know, my car into like my like mobile university or like my education center. Um, because obviously, like when I first got investing, um, I was in school and I was going to school full time. I was working full time. So I don't have a ton of time to on the side to like educate myself. So I just said, okay, anytime I'm in the car, whether running errands, going to work, going to school, whatever, or anytime I have headphones in, walking to class, gym, whatever, uh, everything I listen to, I stopped listening to music and it was all podcasts, audiobooks, uh, uh, conference calls, like quarterly conference calls for any company that I was interested in. I used to listen to those all the time um, and just like listen to what the analysts were asking because I think that's a good way to like gauge on like what to ask or what to look for in a company, especially if you're, you're new to investing. These guys are supposedly to be the smart money, quote unquote. Um, so I think that was like super educational for me. Um, and I think kind of maybe like a year, to, maybe not even a year, maybe a couple months into doing that. Uh, I think it was around 20, maybe 2013, 2014. I was like, you know what? I just feel like want to go 
dive in full, like head deep into this. And I want to be my own portfolio manager. Like, I don't want to have to be able to pay someone. I don't want to have to rely on anybody else to tell me like, if this is too risky or not, like I wanted to be financially independent. Um, so I basically took a giant chunk of my savings and just opened up a, um, an investment account and just basically started being my own portfolio manager. All and right. There are some ups and there are some downs. Definitely made some big mistakes earlier on, but you know, that's, I think that's the best time to learn. Um, I did that for a few years before I even kind of learned about crypto. I didn't really learn about crypto. And before it was like cryptocurrencies and the whole crypto industry was, it was really just Bitcoin mm-hmm. was really the main thing. And I think the first time I heard about Bitcoin was, I think it was around $600 a coin. I think it was in 2017. And I remember oh, wow. watching this. Yeah. I remember watching this interview on Real Vision and they're explaining it. And I'm like, damn, this is pretty cool. Like it's like a digital currency. Uh, it's kind of, you know, like like an in-game, like I was thinking of uh, like any time a video game, you have like in video game currencies, like, oh, it's kind of like that. Um, But I didn't truly understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I didn't truly understand it because I I didn't see that it was a solution to a a problem because I didn't really see the problem in the first place because I was just, I wasn't really there yet mentally and with my education in terms about like kind of macroeconomics and the dollar system and all that stuff, I wasn't there. So I didn't really see the problem it was solving. Okay. So I kind of brushed it to the side and kind of forgot about it. Next thing I know, it's, you know, north of $10,000 running up towards $18,000. And I'm like, damn, I just missed the best investment that I'll ever see in my life. Like, I'm never going to get an opportunity like that again. And I remember I was so frustrated. I think it was, you know, it was like more than a day that I was pissed. I didn't even look at the stock market. I was so upset with myself. <laughs> yeah. um, it was pretty funny. Um Kind of fast forward, uh, kind of, again, I forgot about it, just continued doing what I was doing. Fast forward to, you know, 2019, you know, you know, year and a half, two years later, uh, obviously COVID hit, we we're all kind of stuck at home. Um, you know, I lived down in Long Beach, you know, my parents a little bit up north. And so instead of staying down here, we had to be locked inside, I decided to go stay with my parents and the rest of my family. And a lot of times the same thing, we'd still go through our, our daily routines, I'd wake up in the morning, you know, check the stock market especially it was so volatile and things were crashing, you know, we were having 30% drawdowns in the market and, and I loved it. And I was thinking like, damn, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm getting a bunch of stocks on discount. So I was building out a buy list. And then again, I was watching an interview, I think on real vision and they started talking about Bitcoin again. I'm like, damn, I wonder how Bitcoin's performing. Cause usually when you have uh, like large, like risk off situations or, you know, large drawdown in the markets, Mm-hmm. Usually the riskier assets are going to sell off the most first and people are going to dump those and go into, you know, your safer asset classes. And usually they dump everything and they try to go back into they try to go back into dollars um, just because they want to wait until, you know, it's just kind of human nature. When things get kind of scared, people run for the hills. Yeah. Um, and I remember I'm like, oh, let me check the chart. And I remember looking at the chart and it was down like 80 percent. And I'm like, damn, like this crashed, like this really, really crashed. Um. And so that entire day, I started like looking at Bitcoin. I started like watching everything I could on it. I'm like, okay, what happened in the past history? It's like, what's the largest drawdown it's had? Like, did it recover? How did it recover? Mm-hmm. And by the end of that day, I realized, I'm like, hey, look, this is probably one of the second, I think it was the second largest drawdown that Bitcoin's ever seen. And I'm like, look, either this, this is going to keep running and it's going to go maybe 90%, maybe more, a drawdown from the all-time highs. But I was like, I've done enough research on it that I don't think it's going to go to zero. Okay. So I basically, by the end of that day or that second day, I just started buying in. And I think around that time, it was in, in between like 
3,500, maybe $4,000. So pretty much like what Ethereum is now. So some people say like I was in super early, like it's not, it was like, to me, I was super late. Okay. um, Yeah. Yeah, that's a, no, that's a, some of the things we'll get into a little bit later on as well, in terms of uh, a lot of things we hear from people when it comes to Bitcoin or crypto, but uh, something I was wondering is, so I've been following you on Twitter for a while, obviously, and you actually introduced me to like Buffett books and the investors podcast a while back. So super familiar with them, but I remember maybe two years ago or so when the pandemic first hit and we got our first round of stimulus checks, I saw you tweet something like if you had put your first stimulus check in bitcoin when it came out it was probably like a year later it would have been like x amount and it was like maybe three times four times the the return and i was like i should have listened to austin dang man so do you remember like that tweet or do you remember like what bitcoin was at at the time when those stimuluses came out um i don't remember exactly what it is but i think for sure it was for sure under ten thousand dollars i don't i'm really bad with like time and like yeah, back in the history, I have a really bad memory when it comes to that. But I want to say it was under around ten thousand. But I remember the stimulus checks when they came out because, to me, when the stimulus checks came out and everyone was excited, like, "Oh, we get free money, we get free money, get free money," and I was like, "Yeah, we get free money, and it's awesome." And trust me, I took it. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm down for it." But at the same time, I was like, "I don't think people understand what this is doing. This is doing to the dollar, like, and where this money came from. Like, it's not coming from your taxes. You know, this is we don't have the tax revenue to pay for all this stuff." And as you flood the, as you flood the market with more um, stimulus and more dollars, you're actually debasing the current the current dollars that we have now. So your current dollar that you used to have before the stimulus it got weaker because you got more money because there's more money in the system. Okay. Yeah. And so that's kind of the main problem on kind of what kind of Bitcoin is kind of solving because it's 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 not a it's it's going into going to be like a hard asset and I guess you can relate it back to gold. Um, but you can't just print more of it. So it's, it's, you know, it's a scarce asset. And so I realized I'm like, that, that was the problem that it's solving that I missed earlier on um, to bring it kind of full circle. Mm-hmm. And so I remember using that and I remember I'm like, okay, well, if I also think about this, I'm giving, I'm getting free money. It's tax free. I basically shouldn't be getting this anyway. So I'm just going to invest this entire thing. And it's to me, it was risk free. So I was like, I'm going to pick the quote unquote riskiest asset that I can at the time, which, if you're gauging off volatility, Bitcoin is the riskiest asset um, that we have right now, or crypto in general now is the riskiest asset. So I'm like, okay. I'm just going to dump it in there uh, because even if it goes to zero, I shouldn't have been had this money anyway. So to me, it was like a win-win. There's no way to lose. Um, and it just happens that it panned out. But um, I do still follow. There's actually an account on Twitter uh, that I follow that I retweet randomly or I post on Instagram all the time about. And it's, uh, I think it's literally called like $1,200 stimulus is now worth. Oh gosh. Or something like that. And it literally tracks it and he has a website and everything. I don't know who it is, but uh, he tracks it and everything. And then, yeah, I mean, at its peak, obviously we've gone through quite a, quite a drawback. I think we're 30% off the all-time highs as we speak, but um, at its peak, we're, uh, I think it was over $10,000 that, you know, that first 12, I think it was $1,200. I think the $1,200, first 1200 was worth over 10. And I think we got... Every single stimulus that we got over that time frame, I think was about 3,200. The other stimuluses didn't perform as well, obviously, because it was a pretty big gap from the first and the second and third and maybe fourth. I don't remember how many we got, but yeah, um, I think collectively, I mean, you're looking at, you know, over $15,000 if you put all of that into, into cryptocurrency and, or into Bitcoin. 
um, it would have been X amount. And it, honestly, if you would have put it in Ethereum, it was, it was north of $20,000 just because where Ethereum was at the time, you know, but yeah. that was kind of before I was diving deep into, you know, other currencies because um, I was definitely um, Bitcoin first. So I was trying to understand that one first. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I know a few people that jumped into Ethereum, you know, head, you know, head first into mm-hmm. that person there. They're definitely north of $20,000 easily off these stimulus checks. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great example as to how far some like certain amounts of money can go when it comes to certain assets like this. So, and since we've been talking about Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto, uh, how about we define it for the audience? Like what is uh, crypto? What is blockchain technology? What is all this buzz? Or is yeah, it even I- a buzz? It has definitely a buzz, <laughs> but I mean, there are some buzzwords. The first thing I kind of want to break down for people is you're getting these um, even through CNBC or kind of anyone that says that everyone says cryptocurrencies. And I think there's, you know, that's kind of, it's, that's not really accurate at all. Um, essentially, this started out as yes, cryptocurrency. And if you go back to the history of Bitcoin, a bit like the original white paper, what they intended it to be was a digital currency. It has since evolved from there and it's not really a currency anymore. It's eventually, I think it may get there, but right now it's more of a store of value and there's a big difference, which we can dive into later. Um, so everything's quote unquote a cryptocurrency, but majority of these assets are not currencies at all. Um, a few of them could be used as currencies per se, but um, even Bitcoin, like I said, is I wouldn't really classify as a currency right now. Ethereum is not, I don't, I don't look at Ethereum as a, a currency. I look at Ethereum more is like they're trying to be more of like a global computer or a global smart contract platform, if you will, to have, you know, like financial services or like de- uh, decentralized applications and really smart contracts is what they're mm-hmm. going after, where Bitcoin is going after like a store of value. Um, so completely different markets. So even when people look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, you can't really gauge them. They're not they're not in, at all the same. You know, you're comparing an apple to an orange. It's completely different. They're the same asset class, but different sides. Okay. And then same thing with all these other currencies, like I'll just, you know, I'm not invested in Dogecoin and I don't recommend people do- buy Dogecoin at all, but I know it's popular. Uh, like that's not a currency either. I know there's people like, I think, um, you know, the Mavs are trying to use it for merchandise. You know, I think Tesla is doing the same thing. Um, so I guess in that sense, it could be mm-hmm. like, used as a currency, but they're not, they, they're never going to be deemed as a currency. The, the closest one that will be a, that is a currency is Bitcoin only because you have small countries such as El Salvador recently just put out uh, signed into law that Bitcoin is actually legal tender there. So in reality, if you look at Bitcoin is actually a foreign exchange to the dollar. It, if you actually if you actually want to define it, it's a foreign exchange. Um, and there's other small countries that are coming on. They're usually, you know, smaller, poor countries right now. But, I, you know, I think that's, you know, this is kind of the first domino to fall. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot more countries in the left in the coming years kind of accept this as, you know, a, a significant store of value and have banks putting it on the balance sheets and, and people uh, accepting it as legal tender. So that's okay. kind of the first kind of like uh, thing, you know, there's cryptocurrencies and the crypto assets. Um, in terms of blockchain, uh, blockchain is not a new technology. It's been around for a while. I just think it, it just became popular because, you know, these things took off. But, you know, blockchain is more, it's really, all it is is a distributed database. And, and when it comes to cryptocurrencies, it's a, a distributed uh, kind of a, a distributed like transactional um, ledger, if you will. Um, I think the easiest way to kind of explain it is like, let's say like you, uh, myself and like two other people are all playing Monopoly, right? And I say like, okay, um, I'm going to take a piece of paper and I'm going to write every move down on the piece of paper. And it's going to be what you rolled, 
um, you know, the time that you rolled it and who rolled it. And I'm going to write 10 of them on the piece of paper. And each 10, I'm going to rip the piece of paper and put it off to the side. And so basically, you can think of each piece of paper as a block. And that block stores X amount of data in it. Like for Bitcoin, I think it's like one, one megabyte, one gigabyte, some, something like that. Um, so it stores all that data. And basically, it just the way it's a blockchain is the way they structure the data is really, it was really all it is. Um, I know it sounds fancy when people say a blockchain, but it's really just, it's just, it's just how they structure the data in, in, in the simplest form. Um, and then as it kind of relates back to, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, they're using, so I think what people need to understand though too is like, so for Ethereum, you have Ethereum, the network, and then you have Ether, which is the quote unquote currency within the network. And then for Bitcoin, you have Bitcoin, the network, and then you have also Bitcoin, uh, it just happens that Bitcoin named both of them the same thing. So it's a little confusing, but big, you have Bitcoin, the network, which is like quote unquote, big B. And then you have little B, which is big uh, Bitcoin, like the token or the, you know, the, the, the digital asset that you can own. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah. That kind of breaks them, breaks them apart a little bit. Yeah. And that's super helpful. So now that we have an understanding of that, what, what about crypto wallets then? Where do those come in? How do we decide which one to choose? Aren't there a ton of different ones? Do they do the same thing? Uh, where does that come into play? Uh, they don't all do the same thing. Same thing. There's a big difference. Uh, first, I think it will help explain. So I'm gonna kind of break down kind of what what Bitcoin actually is, because I kind of said you know Ethereum is more kind of going after smart contracts and everything. So they're doing a little different things. So I'm gonna relay kind of the wallets and everything kind of back to Bitcoin. So I think it's a little easier for people to comprehend. So okay. I guess like if I wanna if you wanna explain Bitcoin to someone, um, I would explain it as it's a global peer-to-peer -peer monetary network that enables uh, users to transfer value across time and space. Uh, but the key thing is that it enables them to transfer value in a permissionless way that's frictionless and final settlement. And that kind of last sentence is super important in terms of it's permissionless um, and it's final settlement. And it's um, and that, that's where your wallets come into play because the, the wallets kind of help kind of build out the network. So high level so if you're looking at your wallets you have hard you have hardware wallets and like we call them like hot wallets hot wallets is like so let's say if you download like coinbase within the coinbase app and if you scroll down and you uh like click on bitcoin you're gonna have it will like pretty much say i don't know if it does actually says your bitcoin wallet but it'll be able to click on your bitcoin wallet and you'll be able to see the actually bitcoin that you're still you're storing but basically that wallet is not considered there's a, a saying within cryptocurrency, not your keys, not your cheats. And saying, if you don't hold the private keys to your wallet, then you don't really own the coins. And really the private keys is really just means it's the access to get access to your wallet. Think of it as, um, it's kind of a bad analogy, but it's basically the password to get onto your bank account so you can move your funds or like maybe your account number versus your routing number in a way. It's kind of a bad analogy, but I think people kind of understand it in that way. Okay. Um, so for like, Again, so if you have Coinbase, uh, Coinbase, the company is holding all the wallets for you. And while you have the ability to take the, take the money uh, or take your coins out, you know, they are still in control of your private keys. So you're entrusting this company basically with your assets um, versus if you have an external wallet, you have other hot wallets where um, popular ones is one's called MetaMask. Um, and MetaMask is the one that you have to set up. It's through kind of your digital browser. I think they have a mobile app too now. Um, 
but basically you have to set up a keyword phrase and usually they're 12 to 24 random words and it helps you get access to your to your wallet but i think the key thing that people need to understand is that you know there's no ceo there's no one you can call up so if you say if you set up you know metamask's mobile wallet and you lose your phone and you have to restore your phone and you get locked out of your wallet then if you don't know your private words there you're, you're you're locked out there's no way to recover it you're completely locked out everything that was in there is lost you know stuck in there and there's been multiple stories i mean there's stories of people that have you know upwards now i think it's worth you know anywhere from three to you know half a million dollars that is lost um i think for bitcoin just for bitcoin we recently just crossed a uh, 90 percent of um there's only going to be 21 million bitcoin ever and 90 percent of them have already been mined um so there's only about 10 percent left and of that 90%, I think it's, you know, anywhere from like five to 10% of them have, have been deemed like lost or they're inactive because the wallets have been active for inactive for so long. Okay. Um, yeah. So the mining process, uh, curious what, if there's 10% left, what happens? Uh, is it just not possible to mine anymore? How are they actually going to cap it? Like, Hey, no more can be created at this point. Yeah. Well, so there, uh, there's also like different, uh, um, so these blockchains are consensus, consensus mechanisms in our protocols rather. And so for Ethereum, they're, Ethereum and block, uh, Bitcoin are both proof of work right now, uh, but you know, Ethereum is going to proof of stake. So those are kind of the two different ones that you'll hear a lot of if you're diving into this. You know, you have proof of work and proof of stake. So with Bitcoin, the mining process is, you know, you're exerting energy to solve like this complex math problem. Um, and the, the winner that solves a complex math, math problem um, gets to uh, basically verify the transactions and they get to stamp the next block into the blockchain is what they're, what's they're there for. And then they get, they get a, a reward. Um, it's called a block reward. And for Bitcoin right now, the block reward is six, I think it's 6.25 Bitcoin. Uh, but with Bitcoin, what makes it special, it has um, a built-in monetary policy, if you will, that every four years there's a happening where each every four years the amount of Bitcoin that you get for mining a new block gets cut in half. So built into Bitcoin's protocol, there can only ever be 21 million that will ever be mined. There can never, it can never, it can't be changed. Uh, it won't ever change. Um, and so that's capped. So it took, I don't know what, 12, I think we're at 12 years now since Bitcoin started. It took 12 years to do the, you know, that first 90%. Um, just going off of, you know, if you project out how many, uh, coins you get, uh, mined per block and looking at it going forward, it's going to take 112 years for that last 10% of Bitcoin to be mined. So oh, we're wow. looking at the year 2140 and okay. at that point, cause miners make revenue off all two ways. One, they get the block reward, which is the main source of revenue. And then they, they also get transaction fees. Um, so to use a network, there's there's base transaction fees because you're stamping things onto the blockchain. Um, so I mean, there there's uh, definitely um, some topics of discussion that people get into in terms of like what's going to happen once the last one mined. But um, the game theory is that you know, or the theory is that you know, once we get there at 2140, this is going to be so large that the transaction fees alone. Um, are going to be one that's going to be a net revenue for them. So they're going to get transaction fees and that Bitcoin will be worth so much that they already invested so much of like infrastructure and invested so much money into the network that if they stop mining, it's going to completely destroy the network. And so if you can destroy the miners then the entire, you know, the network wouldn't function properly. 
So it's a kind of game theory in that sense that okay. uh, once the last one mines, they'll kind of continue to be the safeguards of the network, if you will. Right. Okay. That's super helpful. So we've talked a little bit about what's going on in terms of uh, it looks like some people are accepting Doge and other coins for merchandise. And uh, we have a bunch of trends going on right now. What's what's most exciting to you right now? Is there anything going on that's like, hey, this is really cool stuff. I want to learn more about this. Um, I wish I could pick out one individual thing, but honestly, my mind's being torn in so many different directions. Like I said, I first started out into Bitcoin only. Um, and this is kind of getting back to uh, my earlier investing days, I was very like, I started as a value investor and I stamped myself as a value mm-hmm. investor. So I missed out on a lot of technology trends or investment ideas because it didn't fit like the, uh, you know, the character that I, I, I made of being a value investor. And so with, uh, as I evolved, I wanted to change that. Um, so I didn't want to just like pick a specific topic and just stick to that. So I think it really is the entire industry, like the growth in the industry is massive right now. Like, you know, just a few years ago, it was literally Bitcoin was really the only thing. Ethereum was was emerging, but it wasn't really well known. Ethereum became super well known. And then as uh, Ethereum developed, then you have, you know, the evolution of uh, decentralized finance and all the smart contracts that are built on top of it. You have NFTs that have been booming. And then you have all these other side chains that are doing other things. You have, um, um, it's part of the NFT, but there's there's gaming industries where you're actually being uh, paid to play these games. It's called play to earn, which is super exciting. And then there's a kind of a new thing that's catching on. Are they're called DAOs, which are decentralized uh, de- um, autonomous organizations. Um, so really, it's the, the entire industry. I'm I'm incredibly bullish on. I think you know if you're looking at it, just to give some. Uh, idea on the, the growth trajectory of this asset class is, is, is insane. I think we're looking at a 300% year on year growth in terms of entire um, asset class, um, the market cap. And then if you're looking at the amount of users, um, I think um, I tweeted this out not too long ago and it's been kind of going around Twitter quite often is um, the amount of users we're projecting to hit a, a billion users by 2024. And just to put that into context for people, um, if you took the internet and you said, okay, once you took, uh, once you hit about 10 million users, if you go from the amount that they hit 10 million users to the time it took them to hit a billion users, it, it took the internet almost, I think it was about 16, almost 17 years to reach a billion users. Um, if we, as long as we don't slow down in terms of adoption rate uh, for new users in the cryptocurrencies, we're going to do that in about eight years, maybe probably seven to eight years. So half the amount of time. So you have an, an insane amount of people and capital that are rushing into this. Um, so I think just that alone is, is, is crazy to think about, you know, in a couple of years time, there's going to be a billion people that are using these on a, using uh, crypto assets on a daily basis. Okay. Yeah. And, that- and, and on top of that really quick, um, you're having a lot of institutional investors. So whether it be, you know, uh, hedge funds, um, you're seeing uh, publicly traded companies put this on their balance sheet. Um, like I said, you have um, um, smaller countries making this legal tender. You have Federal Reserve banks holding it on the balance sheet. Like I think, I think this is really going to take off in the next few years. And I think if you're not invested in this, you're you're going to miss out on probably one of the biggest wealth transfers that we've ever seen. Okay. Yeah. So that actually, we could dive straight into some of the criticisms or potential myths that we hear, right? So one of the first ones I actually thought about writing down was um, the price is too high right now. Uh, 
I missed the opportunity to make money. How am I going to do that now? It's already at 60,000, 50,000. What would you say to someone that's coming to you with that question? Yeah. Well, I mean, so speaking of Bitcoin specifically, I mean, um, yeah, has the price run up immensely? I mean, yes. Have we seen crazy returns? Uh, yeah. Are you going to get the same returns that you've seen from this asset class over the last 10 years to the next 10 years? Like, no, of course not. You've seen it go from zero to a trillion dollar asset class. Like, I don't, you know, it's, it may not grow that, that much in the next 10 years, but, or, but, you know, also I think, especially with crypto, we've seen, you know, people have been flipping NFTs and flipping these other coins where they're making, you know, thousands of percents in, you know, within a month, like just crazy, or like maybe not a month, maybe like a year or so. I mean, just Solana this year, I think Solana is another smaller coin. I think they're up like 700% this year alone. Um, but I think people, and you need to understand, like, are you in it to trade or are you in it to invest? Because if you're looking for an investment class, Bitcoin over the last, you know, 12 years is uh, is growing compoundedly. Um, I think anywhere from, we'll call it about 130%. I think it's closer to like 170, 200. But um, I think with a kind of recent drawback and I think kind of looking forward, I don't think it's going to grow at that rate. But, you know, we'll say anywhere from 100 to 130% per year. Like that's that's crazy. Before cryptocurrencies, like that was unheard of. No, nothing is growing that fast. And this is just, this is one asset, an asset class that's already growing 300%. So, and, and if you look at what Bitcoin is trying to solve and you look at the market that it's going after, you know, it's looking at a store, you're looking at a store value asset. So the closest thing that you can, can uh, relate this to is gold. So if you look at the gold market right now, gold is sitting, I think, anywhere from 10 to 12 trillion, roughly, I want to say. Um, and people will say, okay, yeah, but gold has actually utility. Mm -hmm. It does have utility. It is used in technology. Yes, it's used for jewelry. Yes, it's used. I don't think anyone really gets gold teeth anymore on a, on a normal basis. But, um, you know, I guess some people do. Some uh, of your favorite rappers. Matt. Of course. <laughs> um, so, yes, it does has utility. But really, the, the market cap of gold, you know, there's the, um, the utility aspect of it. But then there's the monetary premium that you're getting in. And I'd say, you know, the utility asset of it is maybe a couple trillion. So, you know, it will, if we're going to call it a $12 trillion asset, we'll say anywhere from, you know, two to three trillion is a utility. Maybe we'll do four. And the rest of that is going to be the monetary premium that people are going to do because it's a store of value. It's one of the longest stores of value that we've ever, you know, the words I've seen. It's been, it's around for centuries. You know, every major central bank uh, holds, you know, tons of gold. Um, so like that's kind of what Bitcoin is going after. It's like literally the new digital gold. There's not anything that gold does that Bitcoin doesn't do better. And if you look at any technology that took, uh, you know, um, kind of like a standard technology and like digitized it, it's always been 10 times better. I mean, look at the, I think a classic one is like, look at shopping. I mean, how much, obviously the pandemic sped this up, but think of like, I mean, I know all my Christmas shopping, I did through Amazon. I do all my Christmas shopping online. I don't remember the last time I went to a store. Um, even grocery shopping, you know, I know a lot of my, my parents, they use, you know, Instacart all the time now. Um, yep. Think of the think of the taxi network, old school taxis versus, um, you know, Uber, Uber digitized taxis and they didn't they don't even own any cars. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you, can see how, you can see how digital assets completely ramp things up. Um, so as Bitcoin kind of overtakes that, you know, like I said, that's a that's a 10, 12 trillion dollar market. Yeah, I think it's easily it does everything gold does and and better. Um, mm -hmm. So I easily see that this this uh, asset class um, can go anywhere from 10 to 12, 10 to 20 trillion. Um, and we're at, you know, what's called one, one trillion now. So there's a lot of upside potential. There's that's that's still a ton of growth. And even mm -hmm. if, let's say, in the next five years, it, it reaches the size of gold market, which I think is very probable. 
that it reaches this as gold market. Uh, you know, a $10 trillion asset class, you're looking at $500,000 a coin. You know, we're sitting at, you know, 50K right now. That's mm-hmm. not a bad return in my sense. Yeah, is it your, are you going to go from, you know, a few cents to, you know, a few hundred dollars like Solana or some of these other coins? No, but, you know, it's still, it's, you got to take, you know, hindsight and you got to look on a risk adjusted basis. Yeah. So that, that's all exciting. So what, what if someone said, well, the government's going to step in and regulate it, like whether it's Bitcoin or crypto. Uh, and it's going to hinder its growth. Like, wh- what would you say to them then? Um, that is definitely um, an ongoing, uh, I wouldn't say technically an issue right now, but it's definitely a hot topic right now. I mean, we just had a, a bunch of the, a bunch of different crypto CEOs, um, which is exactly why they're not currencies, because if it has a CEO, it doesn't really, it's kind of hard to be a currency. It's more of a company. Um, you had the, them all testify in front of Congress. Um I think there is going to be regulation and I think uh, this is going to be maybe people in the crypto industry aren't going to like this comment, but I think there should be, you know, there should be some regulations. We do need regulations. Like um, if we want to see this asset class go from, you know, one to two trillion dollars in terms of Bitcoin up to, you know, uh, you know, 10 to 20 trillion, you're going to need institutional adoption and they have mandates that they have to follow. Um, and so they need some regulation that they have a regulatory body that they have, they have lawyers that they need to answer to. So there has to be some sort of regulation. Um, can the government shut it down? No, it cannot. You've, you've seen it multiple times. So let's just say this is, you know, so hash rate basically measures the amount of computing power that backs, you know, backs the network. So we had an all time high, you know, I think in the last like year or so we hit an all time high. China came out and banned crypto mining. So there could be no more Bitcoin miners in China. It basically shut down, and that was a huge sell-off when we when we initially hit, hit like close to sixty thousand or so, or sixty-two thousand, and it crashed all the way back down to the in the thirties. You saw a fifty percent drawdown, and the hash rate completely collapsed. Right now, we've already made an all, a new all-time high, and we had basically the entire mining, uh, all the mining that was going on in China left China and basically distributed to other places in the world. Because the best part about crypto mining is you can chase where the energy is. You're going to go to where the energy is most efficient. And so you can pack up your miners and move them and go somewhere else. And like I said, this is a global monetary network. So it's global. So if someone shuts it down, the entire globe is not going to all decide at the same time that something, we can't decide on anything. You can't even get, you know, we can't even get states to decide on anything. You can, you think you're going to get countries to all decide on the same thing. There's no way. Um, So in that sense, they, it cannot be shut down. Could the U.S. come out tomorrow and say, you know, uh, we are going to put a heavy tax on Bitcoin mining or, hey, we're going to mean uh, say it's uh, illegal to hold X amount of cryptocurrencies? One, that will never happen uh, because there's constitutional uh, rights that I think um, because it's deemed as property. Uh, so we're kind of protected on the Constitution um, um, that that won't happen. But hypothetically, if it does happen, um, yes, it would take a massive hit for sure. But um, I would also kind of counter that with if you look at, you know, India tried to ban it and so did, I want to say Ethiopia or maybe it was, uh, maybe I forget exactly where it was in Africa, but they banned it. And if you actually look at the, the um, Bitcoin usage or Bitcoin adoption in those places where they banned it, it actually skyrocketed. So wow. after they banned it, more people started to use it. Um, so, the, I mean, that's what's great when you have a, uh, a digital technology, as long as you have an internet connection and there's actually satellites in space that are, are Bitcoin nodes that literally are, the Bitcoin network is being um, ran through in space. And so you literally cannot shut this down. It's, it's, you would have to shut down the entire internet, which would never happen to shut down Bitcoin. 
Yeah. No, that's or any, great... any cryptocurrency really at this point. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's a great example. So uh, obviously, uh, like I said, follow you on Twitter. I, I went back through your profile, found a couple of tweets that I think are, are pretty notable here. One of them was yeah. actually an unpopular opinion. Uh, you can be a Bitcoiner and trade or invest in other crypto projects. So could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're new to cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, you may not really kind of understand that. But um, so there's kind of a kind of people like butting heads where you have, you know, different. Um, I don't even know what to call them. Like you have so different groups of people, if you will, where you have like hardcore, they're called like Bitcoin maxis. And they literally think that Bitcoin is the only thing they can own and everything else, including stocks, including everything is completely worthless. And they're hardcore. If you don't own anything but Bitcoin, you are like stupid. And it's just like, it's kind of like toxic in a sense. And, and so I think you need to break it down to, um, in terms of like monetary policy and in terms of store value, yes, I'm a big Bitcoin, Bitcoiner diehard. You know, I don't think there's another crypto project out there that can match what Bitcoin is doing. You know, I don't think Ethereum will ever get there. I don't think Ethereum is going to be larger than Bitcoin. I don't at all. But at the same time, I see the value in other things. Like I was saying earlier, um, earlier on in my Bessie career, I was very like focused on being a value only investor. And I told myself I would never do that again because I missed out on so many different things. And I think Ethereum brings a lot of value to the entire crypto space. I mean, a lot of exciting project are happening is happening because of ethereum and, and on ethereum i mean i'm i'm in um um multiple nfts that i think are super cool i think there's a ton of use cases uh stable coins a lot of the stable coins which i think is a massive uh um innovation in and of itself and it's going to be a huge asset class in and of itself um, i'm in a ton of stable coins as well and most of those run on ethereum um and so that was just my way of saying like hey you can be you know you know, a diehard Bitcoin person and say like, hey, this is, you know, this is my, this is my unit of savings. You know, I save in Bitcoin, you know, I don't save in dollars anymore. Um, but I also invest uh, one because I just like to invest and trade on the side. And these projects are, they're exciting, you know? Um, so it's fun to kind of do both. So there's another one. I, we covered this a bit earlier, but there's a line I wanted to emphasize. So crypto digital asset space will reach 1 billion users by 2024. There's a high probability that industry will see hundred X over the next decade. If it's not tied back to industry, don't bother investing. So that last line, it's not tied back to industry, don't bother investing. What exactly does that mean? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that was slightly like a tongue-in-cheek comment. And I was that was just my way of saying like, hey, look, if, if you're not invested in this asset class right now, you're going to be left behind in terms of um, your, your, your returns, you know, if you're looking at it as an investor. Um, I think... Like I said earlier, I think this is going to be the wealth, the biggest wealth transfer we've ever seen. I think this is going to dwarf the type of returns that we saw with the internet. Um, I mean, like I already said, we're growing at, you know, the crypto industry is growing twice as fast as the internet was back in the day. So I'm not saying you have to be all in, you know, me personally, you know, my, my portfolio went from, you know, when I first started to a very small percentage was in Bitcoin to now I'd say a bit easily north of 80% of my entire investable assets is tied back to cryptocurrencies. And most of that is in Bitcoin. Um, so I'm a little biased. Um, <laughs> yes. that, is, that is not investing in advice. That is not investing in advice. But uh -huh. um, you know, again, this is this is going to be a huge asset class. So I, I easily see this. You know, maybe not over the next ten years. If I'm being bullish, I'd say within the next ten years, the crypto asset class is going to be worth hundred trillion dollars. 
and that's that's including you know uh you know your layer ones your bitcoin and your ethereum that's including nfts that's including um any gaming that's stacked on top that's including stable coins that's the entire asset class in and of itself you know this is this is a this is a new asset class we are literally witnessing a new asset class be born so talking about you mentioned your portfolio some of the percentage splits there which isn't investing advice but curious um what what's some of the most uh, challenging parts uh, that you faced when it came to learning to invest um challenging parts i remember kind of earlier on i was talking to um someone that was a little bit more seasoned than i was investing and he asked me a question and and i actually remember pausing and i didn't know how to answer it and he asked me he's like would you rather be right or would you rather make money and most people are like well duh, i'd rather make money but but like i paused because i was like well some of the best parts of investing that i find the most exciting outside of making money because obviously that's why everyone invests because they want to return on their investment but a great part of investing is, you know, building out a thesis, putting in the work and, you know, building out your process and, you know, seeing if your process is correct. Like you want to see that your process and the work that you put in the theory that you came up with, um, if you were correct on it. And also it's not about just being correct because you can be correct in like your theory, but you could, you could time it wrong. Um, and so if you get into an asset too early um, or it could be too late um, or you can hold it too long, or you can hold it not enough. You know, there's been multiple times where um, I had a theory and it was right, but uh, it kind of started to go against me. So I kind of bailed on it. I was like, okay, it didn't really pan out. And then a quarter or two later, it completely took off. Um, so I just think, you know, that's one of them, just understanding the difference between, you know, wanting to make money and um, wanting to be right and really kind of leaving your emotion out of it. I think is, is a huge, huge part of investing. The other part I think that I've really evolved over time is um, being able to take in new information and being okay with changing your mind. I think some of the best investors of all time have, you know, whether you say like, okay, no, I don't believe in cryptocurrencies. It's not valued by anything. Bitcoin isn't technically backed by anything. It's not physical, da, 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 da. Um, okay that could be, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion, but okay, but if I lay out an investment thesis for you, or if you start actually putting some work, you know, I'm talking more than like 10 plus hours, I'm talking, you know, closer to, you know, actually real work, I'm talking 50 plus hours in, okay, now you have more information, you should be able to change your mind, and you should be okay with changing your mind, and you should voice, but okay, no, I was wrong, I, I changed my mind. I think that's kind of the, the biggest lesson that I've learned kind of over time. Yeah, I'd love to hear that, especially because I feel like uh, with the internet and social media, when you put a statement out there, it kind of gets reinforced, right, as you're you're putting it out there. So it, it becomes harder to want to change your mind because you don't want to seem uh, like a hypocrite, right? So yes. keeping that open mind, I think, is super important. I really like that. So another part as well is um, you touched on it is de developing that thesis, right? So um, any other rewarding parts to investing besides potentially making those massive returns? Um, in terms of like developing a thesis, I think, you know, the way I see it investing and why I kind of like really, like really fell in love with it and become obsessed with it is because, you know, it's, you know, whether, whether you're looking at a business or whether you're looking at um, economics or the stock market, you're, you're dealing with a complex, a complex system, you know, it's constantly changing. So if you look at investing, you're basically trying to solve a Rubik's cube that's fighting back. And, you know, there's so many external things that are going in that you have to decipher on so much. There's a lot of noise that goes on. And like outside of the actual noise that can change the underlying investment thesis, you also have price action, but price action is different than the actual underlying business. 
And so a lot of times relating this back to crypto or back to Bitcoin, people are like, okay, well, yeah, Bitcoin just saw 50% drawdown like C. Um, it's too volatile or C like it's going to go to zero. I'm like, yes, the price in terms of dollars, like if you're using dollar as your unit of count, yeah, Bitcoin did, did suffer, you know, 50% drawdown in price. But if you look at all the underlying metrics, if you're looking, you're looking at hash rate, which is, which is you know, the, the, computing, the computing power behind, behind Bitcoin, it's continuing going up and to the right, is gaining. If you're looking at new users coming on, it's going up and to the right. And so you're having all these underlying uh, network um, uh, metrics that are literally still gaining. And so I think you need to decipher, you know, kind of the, the um, you know, the price action versus, you know, the underlying thesis and process. And the, one thing that I evolved over time, which kind of I definitely like doing now or really helped me now is, you know, I, I do like, I, I call it the, the one, the 10 and the hundred hour test. And so basically if I have an idea or whether I have an idea or I hear an idea or I hear something, I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. That's exciting. I think I'm going to be interested in that. I'll sit down, I'll block out an hour of my time, a strict hour, no phone, no, nothing, and just look at whatever I want to look at, whether it be a company, a sector, a new uh, project within the crypto space, whatever it is, I block an hour of my time and just, you don't have to dive, dive super deep and go and go super into the metrics, but just skim Twitter, go into the Discord chats, you know, whatever your outlets are, your media outlets that you like to scan, scan for information, just get a high level view of like what this, what this asset class is or what this asset is. And after an hour, you should be able to say like, okay, this is either something that I need to spend more time on or you're like, okay, this is interesting, but like, I don't think I'm going to invest in it. If it passes the hour test, I think you should easily spend, you know, 10 plus hours on it. And you'd be like, okay, I need to set a good 10 hours. And if you're looking at a stock after about 10 hours, you should know, like, it's a yes or no. You probably won't even need 10 hours. You probably need less. But when it comes to cryptocurrencies, I think you may need a little bit more time. Um, and if it passed the 10 hour test, um, I would just buy automatically. I, I wouldn't say like, hey, go all in, but you know, buy some now, get some skin in the game. Now you have skin in the game, you can evolve your thinking over time and you're kind of watching it more, even passively, because once you have skin in the game, um, it, it's kind of like, have you ever had that happen where your friend's like, hey, I'm gonna buy a new car. And then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere, like yep. in the back of your mind. And the same thing is like, once you have skin in the game in the back of your mind, you know, you have money invested in there. So mm -hmm. now anytime that is mentioned, you automatically think about it and you look and you're like, okay, what's happening? Um, so you yeah. actually don't even realize how much information you're taking in, like subconsciously. So for those people that have been listening and now they're excited, they've heard all these cool things going on within Bitcoin, crypto, uh, and even investing, are there any, and they want to get started, are there any like specific books, podcasts, newsletters, or potential thought leaders that you follow that have influenced you that you'd recommend? Um, I would say for books, um, one is the Bitcoin standard. One uh, kind of breaks down Bitcoin. First, like the first part of the book breaks down the history of money. And I think that's super important because, you know, a lot of people, you think about how much, how much, you know, effort do we all, and effort and time that we all put into like earn money, but how much of us do we actually know, like, what is money? Like, if you ask, if you go up and ask a random person, like, what is money? They kind of will look at you and they'll get a stale face. They're like, well, what do you mean? Like, we all know what money is, but most people don't. And, you know, me personally, I, I view money, money is just a unit of time. It's just a storage vessel for time is what it all it is. And so the Bitcoin standard kind of breaks down like the history of money, um, kind of goes through a little bit into economics and then walks you through like, as Bitcoin will evolve into that eventually could have, like how it evolve into a monetary or how it could evolve into money. 
And to evolve into money, there needs to be kind of like three things, I guess you could kind of say is one, it's a store value, which right now it already is. It's a medium of exchange. It could be used for a medium of exchange, but most people are not medium of exchange. So I wouldn't say it's there yet. And then after that, it's a unit of account. So that book is monumental for Bitcoiners. If you want to get into Bitcoin, the other one is um, my lot of customers podcast. No. Go for it. Okay, okay, I just want to, uh, the book is a uh, Bitcoin hard money you can't fuck with. It's a really good book. It's not like as deep into it. It kind of gives you broad overlay, um, but it's, it's written by a guy named Jason Williams. He's on he's on Twitter as well. Super fun guy to follow too. I think it's actually his, his Twitter name is like Going Parabolic uh, or Parabolic Guy or one of those things. But that was a super cool book to re uh, read. I've read that like three times already. Um, but in terms of like. Uh, other things that you should follow. Um, the biggest place I'd say that really helped my investing career the most, and I would say even more than like me getting my master's degree in finance that really helped me the most, um, there's a, a media outlet, uh, there's a content provider called Real Vision. They do do legacy finance stuff. That one, you have, it's a paid subscription. I think it's like 230 or something like that. Um, but really it's well, well worth it. Um, there's also, they have Real Vision Crypto, which is everything crypto. They're heavy in the NFT space, having a DeFi, and that one's completely free. Um, and I definitely, definitely advise if you're interested in crypto, go check that out. Um, in terms of podcast, um, if you want a Bitcoin podcast, uh, it's called What Bitcoin Did by Peter McCormick. Um, I would say the Investors Podcast is probably one of the, I've been listening to this podcast for probably almost 10 years now. Um, they do Bitcoin episodes every Wednesday. Um, the Pump Podcast, he's a very high, you know, um, person that's really high up into the crypto space and very well known. And then in terms of broader kind of uh, crypto stuff, it's called Bankless. Um, and they're really deep into, you know, Ethereum um, and all the DeFi stuff and all the NFT stuff. So that, that was a really cool place for um, news in that sense, too. And then um, honestly, Twitter, I would say. People are like, oh, no, I, I don't know, like, why would you use Twitter? It's just social media. But honestly, Twitter is the single best source of information out there. It is a goldmine if you know how to use it correctly. And I would say when I first started using Twitter, it was I never used it because I, you know, didn't didn't see the value in it. And then mm -hmm. once I got into, you know, um, investing in finance and, you know, uh, especially in, in crypto, I basically kind of unfollowed most of, most of my friends on Twitter. and. I basically just use Twitter, go to the people I think that are most notable in this industry or whatever industry or asset class I think is important. Mm -hmm. I follow them and I just look at all their tweets, who are they retweeting, who are they following and the amount of information that you can get from Twitter and the interactions you've had. You know, I've been in, um, I think it's Twitter, Twitter spaces, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like clubhouse, but on Twitter. Um, I've been in spaces where literally, you know, you have like Mark Cuban and you have some, you know, billionaire investors. And we had the president at El Salvador. He was walking us through everybody live as they were signing the bill to have Bitcoin be legal tender. Like there's no other media outlet out there that will give you real time updates as they're actually signing the bill and taking votes on the bill. And you have the president of the nation walking you through what's going on. Like that is, that was amazing. There was like 20,000 plus people in the room and everyone can contribute. Um, so I definitely, definitely advise going out on Twitter and um, just stop following your friends and don't tell them, don't take it personally, but, you know, follow the people that, you know, uh, the news outlets that you actually want to follow.
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I actually recently made a, a secondary Twitter. I don't even remember the password to my original one. And uh, <laughs> I've done what you said. I've followed people that I think are influential in the space, whether that's uh, real estate, finance, uh, just anything you're interested in. And the content that they're retweeting and sharing, it's it's gold. So I would highly recommend that as well. Um, yeah, so is there is there anything uh, that you would say you might do differently if you were to like look back a little bit um, the thing I probably do differently was kind of like when I first started out, I was definitely like I kind of mentioned a couple of times that I was kind of definitely a value invest. I was definitely a value investor and I was looking things at a cap, like a discounted cash flow basis. You know, I was I literally would look at a company. I'd read the balance sheet. I'd go to the income statement, go to the cash flow statement. I would read the quarterly earnings reports. I would look at them like, OK, is this a successful business? Is, it, is this going to grow? Is it not? Um, and I'll look at, you know, how much earnings are taking in and stuff like that. But because I was so geared on being like a value investor, I missed out on a lot of technology plays, even though I liked and enjoyed the technologies. I'm like, okay, this is going to be big, but it didn't fit my investment framework, quote unquote. And I think that's a wrong way to approach it because there's definitely now, you know, now like I, I run, you know, a, a few different portfolios, like personal portfolios, but I have different portfolios. You know, I have ones that are a bit more risky, some that are kind of like old school that I still do some more kind of value-based kind of investing. Um, and then I have obviously my entire crypto portfolio um, that we kind of discussed is the majority of it now, but um, but I still do invest in some stocks um, as well. Um, I think it's just the ability to not be stuck in one avenue. Like you can be, like I said, you can be a Bitcoin or invest in other crypto projects. You could be a value investor, but also you can understand that like, hey, this is a growth company that's growing on 30 to 40% year over year basis. And while they may not be earning uh, any money on the bottom line, but they're probably cash flow positive or every other metric is up and to the right. So that can still be a good investment opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. <laughs> uh, so I, I, as we're coming to a close here, Austin, is there anything that you'd like to, uh, to plug, self-promote or any asks you have from the audience? Um. I mean, I, I don't really push out content like that. This is my first podcast. So I really, big shout out to you for having me on. I'm really actually super excited to be on podcast. I've always actually wanted to do one. Of course. Um, I mean, self-plug, I mean, you, you guys all, I mean, my Twitter's, my Twitter's open. My Instagram's open. Uh, I'm not super active on Instagram at all. Uh, Twitter, I'm pretty active. Pretty much everything is uh, crypto related, but other than that, it is uh, economics based. Uh, sprinkle in some sports here and there um, and just kind of a lot of, um, kind of tongue-in-cheek comments as you go along but uh, hit me up on there or you know if anyone wants to get started whether it be investing or whether it be you know personal finance tips or just you know how to get started investing if you want some book recommendations podcast podcast recommendations or you know like hey what what crypto exchange should i be using first if i need help setting up a wallet mm -hmm. shoot, shoot me a dm i mean all my stuff is open i'm i love helping people you know i i I spend way too many hours in this in this space as it is, but you know, so I'll, you know, pass on any information that as I can to as, as many people as I possibly can. Because I want I want every everybody out here listening to be get involved in the cryptocurrencies. Just play around in it. Take even if even if you don't believe in it, you know, take one percent of your investable assets and just go buy some and just see where it goes. Yeah, no, that is uh, that's amazing and very kind of you. So, what would that Twitter handle be if people want to reach out? It's a underscore walk underscore. All right. We'll put that in the description. Well, Austin had such a great time recording with you today. Thank you so much for coming on and, and just telling everything, you know, so just want to say thank you.
No, I appreciate it. I love being on. Hope we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening in to the Startup Garden Podcast. Make sure to tune back next time to hear more tips and strategies to upscale your career and navigate the complex world of business. All opinions expressed by Mateo and his guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of their employer, employees, or affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.